Welcome to the Made for This podcast. I'm your host, Julie Turner, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today. I believe that each of you are created uniquely and for a purpose. On this show, I talk with women that I believe are living out their God-given purpose right in the place where they are at. My hope is that wherever life has you, whether you're in the workforce, raising young people, or both, whether you're married or single, fullness or emptiness, whatever your particular circumstance is, I hope that in listening to these women and their stories, that you will feel inspired to live confidently in your own purpose every day of your life. You'll be hearing from ordinary people living ordinary lives with an extraordinary purpose. Today, I will be talking with my dear friend, Kirsten Skizik. Kirsten is a wife to her wonderful husband, Justin, a mom to three beautiful children, and she has a story that is chock full of highly unexpected twists and turns, but at the same time, shouts of God's provision and faithfulness through even the most unexpected circumstances. I know that you'll be inspired by her and her incredible story, so without further ado, Here's my interview with my good friend, Kirsten Skizik. Well, hello. I'm sitting here with my good friend, Kirsten Skizik, and I'm so excited that we get to hear from her today. She's such an incredible person with an incredible story. I've known Kirsten for only probably four years now. Three. Three years is all, but I feel like I've known her forever. It's just been uh, such a treat to get to know her and her family. She's a mom of three beautiful children and a wife to a great husband, and she has an incredible story, and I'm looking forward to hearing from her. Um, We usually start out the podcast with a so close story, those embarrassing moments that seem to find us in the middle of our everyday experience, but here's what I'm very disappointed to find out is that while I have about... 75 that I could easily come up with of my own so close stories. She's a very together person and we have not found one yet. (laughs) I cannot believe this. I cannot believe that you are friends with me and you have none of these things happen and I have them happen on a very regular basis. So, um, that is very impressive. I'm sure they're there. They're there somewhere. We just have to come up with them. <laughs> <laughs> well, so in absence of that, let's hear a little bit more about who, who you are. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your husband and your kids. And Okay. Well, my name is Kirsten. I am married to Justin and I have three kids. And do you want to know about them yes. now? Let's okay. So I have a 13-year-old named Jaden. And he is a very um, athletic, social, he's, just, he's definitely, everything revolves around social for him and his friends, and he just wears his heart on his sleeve, and he's a great kid. Aww. And then I have Noah, who is 11, I have to think about their age, <laughs> and he's in sixth grade, and uh, he's a very sweet, reserved, organized kid, and he's brilliant, and really love everything about him. He's really compassionate and all about justice and fairness and all Aww. these things. And then I have seven-year-old Lauren, who everyone describes her as a walking exclamation point. And those of you <laughs> that know that. her, that is a <laughs> perfect description. Yes. And she is all about art and singing and fashion and expressing herself. And she does exactly that. And she's wonderful and caring and helpful and That's great awesome. kids. I love that exclamation so. point. All right, so we've heard a little bit about your family. Before we get too much more into that whole story and and your amazing marriage, um, let's talk about your background. So you were trained as a nursing professional, is that correct? Yes, I'm a registered nurse. And so how long did you do that for? Uh, 12 years. 
I worked in the same field for the whole 12 years right out of school. Uh, I actually started as an art major, which is kind of interesting, and realized really quickly that this was not the direction I wanted to go. I'm I love it, but there was, I did not want to work on computers or graphic design, or, and that's where everything was headed at the time. And I just sat in the library one day, and in front of me was a stack of books that said, why should I become a nurse? And I sat down, flipped through it, and it had all these different things. And I came home and told my mom, I'm changing my major. I'm going to be a nurse. And she said, well, of course, you always used to dress up as a nurse on oh career day and all these different things. So I went, okay, there we go. And so I went to nursing school and became a registered nurse and right out of school started at the VA um, in a spinal cord injury rehab unit, Wow. which I imagined I was going to go into pediatrics or labor and delivery or something along those lines. And for whatever reason, I ended up in a field completely opposite in a population completely opposite. And I know now it was not coincidental in right. any way, shape, or form. But Right. Oh, my goodness. Your story is so giant and woven together that it's hard to know which pieces to actually focus on at the moment. But, yes, that will come back later on as we're talking, I'm sure. Just how that shift from art to nursing, from pediatrics into this specific field mm-hmm. played out to be such this hand on your life. Yes. In a really incredible way. Yeah. Which is awesome. Okay, so you just said you worked in spinal rehab. What what did that look like for you on a day-to-day basis? Okay, so it was a rehab unit. So this was patients who came in from their trauma, from their ICU, from whatever accident or however they became paralyzed or in these situations, and they would come down to our unit as soon as they were stable, and they would stay there for an average of three months, but a lot of these guys were there so much longer. So they would come and our job was to get them to learn how to take care of themselves, to get, you know, trained to get their psychological, their medications, their bowel and bladder, everything to get on regulated and on a schedule so they could be sent home and be able to do as much as they could for themselves. I guess I didn't realize that you would work with the same people for that long. Yeah. About many months. So yes. I bet you got to know them. Yes, really which I well. actually really loved. I never would have thought that I would have loved this type of nursing in this unit as much as I did. But it was I think it was because I got to get to know them. We got to have this relationship with them and with their families and really get to know them. Wow. So my mom was a nursing instructor and worked in the hospital and oh my word. She was never without a story. And they would usually show up at like the Thanksgiving dinner table mm-hmm. and we'd hear about some traumatic to us and no big deal to her but to us it was like gross factor Mm -hmm. times 10 did you have any like most dramatic stories from working as a nurse yeah there's tons I don't know how many I'm or how appropriate necessarily (laughs) are what's a standout just maybe one of the standout moments yeah ones where I'm transferring people and they had to get to the bathroom and there's diarrhea all the way down my leg or people yelling at me to put the side rails down and I would say, why do you need them down? And they say, well, it's so that I can kill you or so I can punch you oh. in the face or, you know, well, oh, okay, get right on no, 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 I will not. And <laughs> <laughs> so did your nursing, in, is this part of what your nursing program prepares you for? Oh, is, no way. Yeah. Right. These are things, I think they probably prepared me more for motherhood. Than <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So we alluded to this a few minutes ago that your job then prepared you for the life that you have now in a way that you never would have predicted or known, um, in that your husband was diagnosed with a rare 
autoimmune disorder. Well, I'll let you tell that story. So talk to us about his condition and what that looks like. Okay. What that has looked like. It is a very rare disease. They'd only, I think they only have maybe 25 cases, I think. I don't, I'm sure it might be more now, but it's called multifocal acquired motor axonopathy. And essentially it just, your brain is kind of tricked into thinking that it can't, the muscles can't work and it's kind of attacks itself. So the, his brain can tell his muscles to work, but they don't get the message. And so this just happens over time. It's progressive. He started noticing the first symptoms when he was in college. And then it's been about 20 years now that things have just been progressing little by little. One muscle goes at a time. He starts to get twitching and we would just recognize, okay, this is, this is the next one to go. And so with each of that came um, a loss of independence for him. And so this has been happening fairly slowly over the years and it would level off and plateau and be fine and we would adjust and he would be able to still care for himself and then all of a sudden it would progress quite a bit more. And so the biggest one of those progressions was about 2010, so about six years ago, and he um, lost all of his arms, the control of his arms all at one time. And so that was, it changed our life very drastically. So they both went together. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're, it's not symmetrical. They're not exactly even, but it's, he was not able to, right. they went very quickly. It wasn't like he lost one and got a chance to use the other one. It was probably the most dramatic progression he's had through the whole time. And he had been a graphic designer. Yes. And so this was a mm-hmm. massive loss of yes. the ability to do yeah. what he was. So he to was do. not able to work. He was not able to feed himself, to bathe himself, to get dressed, to drive, to do. I mean, everything. He he was still able to do a lot of those things. And at that point, your kids then. were how old? Oh, I I had two boys. I I don't remember exactly how old they were. Maybe five and three, I think. And uh, we had a newborn baby, and so. I'm sure, why not throw that into the mix, right? And so I was already caring for quite a... I mean, they were still very dependent on me at that time. So to have four people very dependent on you all at the same time. And then to have to now come up with a way to get... We have to redo our house. We had to get a new van. We had to figure out how we were going to make money. How we were. I mean, all these things just had to happen and reshift all of our schedules and... And you were working. And I was working, yes. And I was in charge. So I was working, taking care of people physically. So I'm literally doing the same type of care for 15 hours. And then I would come home and have to do the same thing for him and to take care of these little kids who were also dependent. And, you know, it just was the same thing all the time. Wow. Okay, that just, I've heard, obviously, I've heard you tell this story before, but I still, every time... I can't even imagine sustaining that. So how long did that go on for where you were working full time, caring for three babies, caring for and and adjusting, I mean, emotionally just adjusting Mm -hmm. to this whole new set of circumstances for your husband. And I'm sure there was a grieving process involved in all of that. How Mm -hmm. long was all of that on your shoulders? I think it was about two years and too long. Really, (laughs) because it was scary because I had the insurance and we had this medical thing. We don't even know where it's going to go. This was not a good time to quit and not have insurance. And so I I just kind of, and we weren't sure where the, where he was going to be able to make money. And he was still, he had voice software and things like that. So he did, he's a fighter. So he kept trying to figure out a way to 
support the family still. Right. But it was a little too risky to quit at the beginning, which I probably should have done. But things got worse and worse and worse at work as well on top of everything, which I, in hindsight now, I see that that was God's way of kind of, he knew I wasn't going to quit on my own. I was not going to, I was going to take the responsible way and stick it out and figure out a way to make it work. And I could, and I, but at the expense of my physical self at my right. emotional self but you know and I wasn't the best nurse when I was there as I could have been and as I used to be I wasn't I didn't have enough left in me at home to be a good nurse and wife to him and then right. to take care of these kids and have to deal with things wow. that were important to them and not have anything left and right. so this there was some a big dramatic political thing that had happened at the time, which essentially was that that was, that was it. And it needed to happen. Now I see that because that was the final straw. And I said, I'm not doing this. This is not worth it. And then I just came home. It was maybe four days in a row. I came home. I cried the whole 20 minute drive home. And I came in the door and Justin said, that's it. Right. You cannot do this one more day. Right. And so I called and said, I'm going to take some family leave. And we, we, Sat on it for a little while. That was my the yeah. most responsible thing I thought I could do was to just let's just sit back and take a look at this and wow. get away from it for a little bit. And we realized how drastically it changed for to have me home and be around. And right, yeah. Well, you no, know, you are one of the strongest people that I have ever met. <laughs> ever, I had no idea that was two years. That's a long time to mm-hmm. shoulder all of that. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So you choose to be at home, and so then tell us what life looked like after that. You were able to probably get a little bit more rest, yes. for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. What did that? So what? Then life takes on a whole new norm at that point. So and then what did life look like for you guys? So then I was home, and obviously then I've, now I have all these little kids that I'm still running around, and it was funny because I was one of those things I didn't know if I was going to really enjoy being a stay-at-home mom or not, if that was going to... Right. Sometimes that's not your thing to do that. And I didn't right. really know until I was there. But it, and everyone said, well, what in the world do you do with yourself now? And I thought, oh my gosh, I don't feel like I'm doing anything, but I have no time. Right. I have no idea how that even happens. But yeah. um, I was very busy. And I just, just taking kids to school and taking care of him and you know, feeding him and right. all the things. I, I couldn't be gone for hours and hours at a time, and right. I still can't. So it, it wasn't. We tried to figure out a way for me to contribute and work a little bit, and I, I took a job at a college as a school nurse for a little while, oh, wow. thinking that would be flexible. And yeah. But then I was just basically mothering college kids instead right. of mothering little kids, and wow. that was not the answer either and then you're wondering how did I fit a full-time job on top of this life because now I had adjusted and it was like no this is not what you are you need to just be home and be where you are and wow so I really embraced that and decided I'm going to take some time and so how did you find the strength for those two years to manage all of that I have no idea (laughs) yeah I have no idea because I know it I was I'm a strong person and people know that and so I was able to weather more than I think a lot of people could. And I think right. that was created that way for a reason now that I look at it. But right. I'm not a worryful person. I don't expect the worst and things. And so I think I that protected me from thinking too much about what could happen. And But just, just tacking 
one more thing on at a time, one more thing, one more thing, one more thing. And then I started to, I hit my breaking point. Right. And, you know, I'm crying in the supply room right. in, the, right. in between patients. Which is and not I thought, who you this are. is right. absurd that right. this is not who I am. I should be able to do this. But So for anybody listening that feels like they're in that place of just drowning in the midst of all of their responsibilities or circumstances, what encouragement do you have for somebody in that place? Well, I think there's a, there's a way out and you have to, I think it's making time, time to step back and looking at it from a, like kind of looking at from the skybox and backing out from your life and looking down and saying, what is going on? Why am I feeling like this? Why am I, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. What could I do? What can I change? What can I cut out? And I was so busy and going from one thing to the next and I was constantly having to fill it or my time was filled with something and taking care of somebody all the time. And I didn't have enough quiet and time yeah. to look back and realize what was actually happening. Right. And so I think just, just taking, have, leaving room and having space to be able to assess what's going on and what can I do differently. But it's, and it's also a season. Right. And Hopefully. I love what you said about, um, that you're not a worrisome person because you didn't have any space to be adding and inventing mm-hmm. problems on top mm-hmm. of what was already there. You had plenty of actual things that you were tending to. And I think for me, I can I can tend to not only be focused on what is an actual problem in my life, I can invent problems by coming up with all the what ifs or mm-hmm. what if this happens, what if that happens. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's good advice too, to just not add to what is already a complicated mm-hmm. life. We all have our things and mm-hmm. we don't need to borrow well, and one of the things working in rehab was that was our, I'm teaching these people day in and day out. We're working on today. We're working like one foot from the other, literally, figuratively. Right now, today, what am I going to do today? We, I need you to get out of bed. Hmm. And so that was a huge challenge for a lot of these patients was to just get out of bed, just wow. take a shower. And that was our motivation. And it starts there. And so... I think just looking right now, don't look so far down the road. Don't worry about the future so much. Right. Like you have now. We have, and we all really only know right. right now. Wow. So what we all should be doing in under much probably less stressful circumstances, mm-hmm. you were able to find that in the midst of extreme stress. Mm-hmm. Let's just take what we have in front of us and mm-hmm. dive into that for this day. That's so good. Um, and then, so you were living in California, and then mm-hmm. how long after that diagnosis did you, was it before you moved? Well, let's see. So we moved here in, I think it was 2013. No. Yeah, 13. Um, and of course, this is a whole other thing about my husband, but he has does not let this stuff bother him either and has these wonderful ideas. Well, now that you're not working, <laughs> we should move to Italy for a while. <laughs> oh, like, that's right. What? You oh, know, my goodness. why not? We, I'm not working. You're not working. This is a perfect opportunity for us to go and experience the world. And oh my goodness. So we did. Wow. Because why not? And so that was incredibly stressful in and of itself. <laughs> We'd had some time to adjust. I had been, I had not been working, I think for a year by then. And so we had this time to plan this and I said, we are not moving there, moving there. And so we agreed on three months. We'll go. We rented our house out and we moved to an apartment in a little town in 
Tuscany and lived, brought the kids and I homeschooled them and we traveled and had this, it's one of the best experiences we've ever had as a family. And we talk about it all the time. The kids talk about it all the time. And oh my goodness, see, you are one of the strongest people. I, for whatever reason, I had completely forgotten mm-hmm. about Italy. And yeah, because we just crammed that in in the middle right. between all this stuff. And probably one of the, it was almost like a sabbatical where we got to get away, get our perspective. This is what's important. Let's, and so we got to do that. Came and it was probably in preparation for what was coming, which we had no clue. Right. And so we move home from another country settle back into our house and came up uh, to Idaho for Justin's high school reunion and a family reunion. And we were driving in between Boise and Ontario, which is just flat, dry land, boring land. And both of us at the same time said, I think we're supposed to move here. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So absurd and so crazy because we'd been up here many times. This is where I grew up and never had considered moving here. Right. No way. We live in San Diego. We live in Paradise. Why in the world would we ever leave? And the fact that we both thought it at the same time, we knew it wasn't our idea. Right. It was crazy enough that it couldn't have been ours. So. And that led to a whole new yeah. set of adventures. But before we go on to that, I'm curious. So when we, one of our travels overseas to Italy, um, we had this rare, unexpected opportunity to care for a woman who was fully disabled. Um, long story short, her husband basically decided to continue on with his trip with his girls. Her flight situation had gotten messed up according, or it wasn't what they thought it was going to be. And so he basically asked if we would care for her for the 24 hours until she could get on her plane. And meanwhile, he took off on his plane and went off with his girls. So here we have this woman that we've just met who is fully disabled. And um, we found, I mean, I love Italy, so I'm not, you know, you're from there. I'm not trying to be in any way dogging on Italy, but it was not the most friendly to people with a disability. It was that a is struggle. Correct. So how mm-hmm. did you, how were, that is amazing that you yeah. even could take that on with three well, kids. And that's yeah. a lot of I mean, managing. It's, it's cobblestone <laughs> everywhere. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, when you get off a cruise, you rock for a while. I mean, he was on cobblestone for three oh months, just shaking you get home and say, I feel like I'm still <laughs> bumping. But the, the, it was amazing because people would literally stop in the middle of the street and stare like, what in the world are you guys doing here? Well, and, and then we were there. kids yeah. over there. We, we so hardly we saw were any quite children. the sight. Uh-huh. And I mean, they don't see people. I mean, a family had come up and told us people don't, if you're disabled in a lot of these countries, you just, it's expected that you stay in your house and that's your new life. And you're just, you just don't go out. Oh my goodness. And you're kind of shut in and that's not how we live. And so it was very crazy for them to see us right. scooching chairs around in a restaurant. And yeah. We came with our own ramp and we would whip it out and throw it down at the steps in front oh of a shop because every single store was up steps or right. And we're carrying this ramp around and the kids would help out. And Wow. It was, it's not easy for sure, but I mean, the train, they have, they have special little kind of cranks that they put you up onto this little platform and put you into the train and you know, they don't get to use them very often. So we started showing them how to use them and, um, oh my goodness, all of that. Well, and then one time when she needed to use the restroom, the restroom that was big enough for her chair was not conducive for actually being used by somebody that was disabled, mm-hmm. but then the one that was had the rails and all the things that would help her in the other stall wasn't wide enough for her chair. Oh <laughs> so my gosh! Like, 
<laughs> yeah. Because no one's actually using them. They right. have to put them there and they kind yeah. of have the forethought to think yeah. we should have this, but right. it doesn't act, it's not actually functional. But because right. we were in the same little town for three months, people started recognizing it. One, okay. one restaurant actually went and built a ramp. Because oh. we had come once, and they felt, and they found out we were staying, and they built a ramp, and oh, that's the best, which was awesome. Yeah. Oh my goodness, I can't believe you did that. Yeah. That's amazing. You're perfect for each other because he has big dreams, and you're like, okay, right. then, let's figure it out. I'm resourceful. <laughs> I got this. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, okay, so before we go on to the next big part of your journey. Um, let's talk about that. Is a lot on a on a marriage to be navigating the unknown, navigating the shift in responsibilities and roles. And you guys are such good friends. Mm -hmm. You're such good friends. So how, I think what maybe would have caused division in a lot of people, you've been pulled together and you support each other. How, how do you, how did you make that friendship grow through all of that? Well, I think it's, we just focus on what, what did we have before? We, we didn't see anything different in each other. We were still the same people and he was just in a different situation, a different uh -huh. body. Mm -hmm. Um, so we focused on the things that we always enjoyed together, we're which constant. was, we would go to the movies, we'd go out to eat, yeah. we'd go travel. And so those were things we were not going to give up just because of the situation, the travel is the most difficult, obviously, but it was right. so important to both of us that we just, it gave us something to plan and work on together and get excited about and look forward to. And right. So we just are really good about spending day-to-day -day time having coffee together every morning and kind of being on the same page. And we're really, we, we talk a lot. And so we're, we really are, know each other. Right. And know what the other person needs. And so much of what you're saying comes back to just what you're thinking in your mind, which I think can be so true for all of us. It's like where you let your thoughts focus because you read statistics about people that go through health crisis or, or crisis with their kids and it pulls the marriage apart. Like there's the statistics are far higher for people that go through traumatic events of divorce mm -hmm. than they are for people who haven't. And, and yet what you're saying is in the middle of that, instead of focusing on maybe what you felt like you were losing or what was changing, mm -hmm. you were focusing on what is constant. Yeah. And what is constant is you're still the person that I married. Mm -hmm. And um, that's so good. How do you do that? Because you both do that. How did you, how do you maintain such a healthy focus and perspective in the midst of ever changing circumstances? And giant question marks. You have huge question marks over. Mm -hmm. Well, again, it's let's, what do we have right now? What, what can we do today and this week instead of if we were to sit around and try to figure out the next 10 years, I mean, it would be impossible. Right. Where that's our society's, that's the norm is to let's think about retirement. Let's think about right. all these things down the road. And um, you just really can't, we can't plan for that, but truly nobody can. I mean, if you have no idea what's going to come in front of you. So we just thought, well, let's enjoy right now, today, and so we're focused on that, where we just, each morning, if coffee, we say, what do we got going on today? Yeah. What do you need from me? Is there anything going on? Wow. Where can we, That's so what can healthy. we do this weekend? What's something fun that we've always wanted to do? And he's such a futuristic dreamer, yeah. goal person. Yeah. Where I'm, I'm the little more realistic one that kind of, you know, he has these great dreams, let's move yeah. to Italy, and I'll say, okay, let's see if this actually <laughs> will pan out, yeah. and is this yeah. feasible? And yeah. yeah, okay, it did. I'd so be trying like, to can meld I even those. Get us on a plane logistically. Like, <laughs> I'd be 
like the most basic aspect of that, I would probably feel overwhelmed. (laughs) That's amazing. That's so good. That's so good to just focus on today and what do we have today? And let's look for the positive in the midst of it and not focus on what we can't control and what Mm -hmm. that's amazing. Well, you do that well. You do that really well. So your daily life requires a lot of energy, Mm -hmm. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And so what are ways that you recharge then in the middle of this coffee camp? Yes. <laughs> That's a good start. That's a given. <laughs> that first beep in the morning. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, my goodness. No. Um, well, I definitely have to get sleep. Everyone knows that I have to have eight hours of sleep a night. I am not – I do not function well. I am not happy. I get cranky if I do not get my sleep. So yeah. um, that has been a priority. We just arrange everything, back it out. I make sure I get at least close to that. That's yeah. not always realistic. But um, sleep, exercise, try to eat kind of healthy as much as I yeah. can. Yeah, we do love to eat and yeah. do fun things. But protecting that sleep, I yeah. have to. I have to protect the things, and I'm, you know, I have to keep my body strong and healthy enough to be able to be available to. I mean, I can't get lazy and because right. right. then I'm going to hurt myself, and I'm not going to be there for my kids, and I'm not going to be able to take care of him and. Right. So I need to, if not for myself, which I should do anyway, but do it for them. Right. Wow. Um, so you move up here and you have, there's so much of your story that we're trying to compress down into an hour. Mm. Um, but you're Justin's lifelong friend, Patrick, and his wife, Donna, and their kids live up here. And so you had a lot more proximity to them. And then came from that friendship came this Big new adventure, um, another big dream mm-hmm. that Justin had. Uh, do you want to just quickly summarize as that whole let's go okay. walk the Camino? Well, yeah. Well, actually, he came up with this idea right after he had talked about Italy. So we hadn't even left it for Italy yet. And he saw this thing on Rick Steves and said, I want to go on this Camino de Santiago, which is 500-mile pilgrimage across Spain. I, w- I wonder if anyone's ever done that in a wheelchair. It's like... Okay, can we just do one thing first? Can we just do one thing at a time? And so he said, "Okay, yeah. Well, after we'll talk about that after we get back." Okay. So he, we as soon as we get home from from Italy, he came home and decided to start looking into this and talked to Patrick. And Patrick said, "Yeah, I'll go. This is his best friend. Who else am I going to do this with? They've been trying to take a trip forever and said we want to go on this journey." And Patrick said, "Yeah." I'll push you. And so this I'll push you moment began. And um, then meanwhile, we move up here to Idaho and they start training for this thing. And we started fundraising and we started doing all these things to towards this journey. And a year later, they completed it. That's amazing. And they ended up taking a documentary team with them, which was totally last minute. Literally, they did not have the team assembled until they were already in France getting ready to start. Oh, my goodness. And there were still people flying over. Well, that's an incredible story. And um, like you said, 500 miles. And they still, as far as I know, are the very first people to complete the entire thing with somebody in mm-hmm. a wheelchair. Is that's that correct? Right. Yeah. yeah. And we're met with all yeah. kinds of people going, uh, you know, uh, it's hard, right? <laughs> like, getting up and over the Pyrenees Mountains. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that is an incredible story. And, um, and maybe we'll have to have, like, second segment with you but um, for anybody listening it, the website is allpushyou.com and um, they're working on big projects mm-hmm. they've got a book coming out you said in the mm-hmm. spring yeah so the film the book 
goes along with the film. It was kind of an afterthought. They had never planned on writing a book, but um, the people just had a lot of questions and they had the opportunity. So they wrote down their story and it's a lot more in depth as to their lives and what led up to this and um, the struggles they were going through internally and everything. But the both book and the film should be out early summer we're not I'm not allowed to say for sure but right, it's right. it's coming but right. since then the word has spread and people are really inspired by this so they've been all around the country traveling and speaking and yeah sharing the story and they're trying to and their friendship is an incredible it's so worth going to visit the website watch the movie trailer mm-hmm. read about their journey because they have been friends literally their whole entire life mm-hmm. and it is one of the most beautiful depictions of friendship that I've ever seen up close or read about. It's just, it stands above and beyond what you would expect to see out of friendship. And it's beautiful and inspiring and awesome. And, and then he has you that says, okay, (laughs) sure. Let's move to Italy. Let's go get ready for you to go across Spain, Mm -hmm. 500 miles. And that's amazing. So I'm sure a lot of this folds hand in hand, but you are one of the most compassionate and empathetic people that I know. And you, I don't think anyone cries alone in your presence. You're so quick to engage in someone else's mm-hmm. pain or challenge or whatever emotion they happen to be going through. Was this, did this, has this grown more in you since your husband's illness or is this just something that you've always been? Probably. Yeah. I think I've, I think I've kept a lot before, you know, growing up or through my life before this, I think I was a little more reserved and shy and kind of kept to myself or kept my emotions to myself. And I think being in rehab and seeing people's struggles and then seeing Justin experiencing it for myself and you just kind of get a better idea of what it, what you're, is really going on on the other mm-hmm. side of things. So when people are talking about stuff, you kind of can relate and say, I've been there. Right. And people usually, I'm more emotional with people that I I feel like I really get why or I understand. I've been there at some point, or I right. felt that emotion at some point, or I, yeah. um, you know, I did one of those strength finder things a while back, and one of my things came up as empathy, and I thought, what? <sighs> but I, and then it says not sympathy. Right. I don't because I feel like I'm not. I don't feel like I'm very sympathetic. I'm kind of a suck it up, you know, (laughs) I don't feel sorry for you. You put yourself in this situation or, you know, but it's, it's a very different approach of, I get it. I I don't have to understand what, but I understand what you're feeling and why. And and I can appreciate that whether or not. Yeah. I know that's true for me. My boys both are visually impaired. And, um, when we first heard about our first child's diagnosis and then right on the heels of that my dad was diagnosed with cancer and um we lost our two cats I mean it was this whole like combined traumatic right exactly (laughs) all at the same time and um it changes you Mm -hmm. it changes you when you are going through the you're facing down so much loss and uncertainty then when you see that in other people I know that I'm much more quick to cry with and alongside people than I ever was before. Mm -hmm. And you wouldn't wish all of those hard things on anybody, but it does grow you up Mm -hmm. when you're in the middle of it. And um, I've said so many times with my kids, I wish as a teacher, I would sit on one side of the 504 meetings as a teacher, I would give anything to go back and sit on it 
now that I know what it feels like to be the parent Mm -hmm. on the other side of that table, staring down professionals, school psychologists, admin, I wish I could go back and be in that position, having understood their Mm -hmm. side better. And I think people are looking when they're looking at you sometimes and they're talking to you. And if you have this stoic face where you're so strong and you're holding it together, sometimes people need to see that you're human and that you're that little crack of emotion in there. And I used to have a really hard time because it made it feel like I wasn't holding it together. I wasn't strong. It wasn't because I was crying or, but what it did is it gave people that freedom to go ahead. And if you are feeling this way, I can feel this way too. Or, and it's okay to have that emotion out. And that's something that, you know, I've been trying to think about with the kids when I'm talking to them and I'll try to kind of hold back tears and be the, yeah. Be the strong one, but then I thought, you know what? It's good for them to see yeah. that I'm well, human be, too, and yeah. I'm I understand what you're feeling, and that's why yeah. I feel like I want to cry right now because right. I get it, and this is so hard for me. Right. To see well, and that you can be strong struggling. and tender at the same mm-hmm. time, and strong and vulnerable yes. at the same time. Right. I think we tend to think those things don't go hand in hand, and we mm-hmm. can either be strong, or we can be emotional, and that that in actuality it can go together, mm-hmm. and really that that's kind of what this life is. It's this mixture of joy and mm-hmm. sorrow that kind of goes hand in hand. I think Pixar got it right in the, what was that recent animated film? The, with all the, oh, they're with inside each other's emotions. heads. Yeah, I can't yeah. think of what it's called with all the balls. That is a great movie. <laughs> I thought, well, they got it right. Joy and sadness sort of have to learn to get along mm-hmm. and, and that they both happen simultaneously sometimes mm-hmm. that you, it's just a seamless weaving of, in, of joy and sadness together and learning how to just be okay with both. That's a, beautiful trait that you have. So as your husband is processing um, this illness over time, and then when he finally did end up losing the use of his arms, and and then by extension, his livelihood at that time with graphic design, he talks openly about staring down this deep, dark hole and finding himself at a place where he needed to make a choice. Either I'm going to allow myself to go to that dark place, or I'm going to have to figure out how to find a new way to look at the situation did what was that like going through that with him and then did you find yourself going through something similar I think that because of what was going on at work and how bad it was and how overwhelmed I was and exhausted I was I was kind of on my own trajectory of just spiraling out of doing too much and and so I was kind of on my own track and he was on his track and we were kind of going side by side and not connecting enough in the middle and I think that I didn't understand completely what he was going through and we were both so caught up in our own dealings that we weren't recognizing what was happening to the other person. However, I think it got so bad that Justin finally said to me, that's it, that's enough and you need to stop. And so someone from the outside had to kind of give me permission to say, it's okay, we're going to figure this out, it's going to be okay and we can't keep going on like this. Right. And so having someone on the outside telling me, yes, you need to, yeah. it's okay to do this. We, you're killing yourself. And So for somebody listening that may find themselves in over their head and in whatever life is dishing out at the moment, and they can, I think you use the word, feel like you're drowning underneath the weight of it all. What advice would you give for them as to how to, how to get themselves spiraling the other direction so that instead of spiraling to a place of self-destruction, they're actually Mm -hmm. spiraling back to a place of health? I think first, just having an ability to stop for a second, stop, take a step back. What's going on? Where am I going with this? This is, and recognizing, acknowledging where you're at and that how bad it is. 
or how hard it is or whatever it is that needs to change and then finding some kind of support to have someone help you out the other side and having someone else telling your story telling talking to somebody and having a community or having a friend or somebody that you can bounce your story off of and they can or they can just watch you from the outside and say look I notice this is happening to you I notice they know you well enough to know or they they understand and they can look at it from a different perspective and give you some advice right. and just take little little steps because that goes to back, back to what we were saying about how we feel like we're on these emotional islands and we have to be strong and tough and make it all on our own and nobody else goes through what we're going through when in reality we all have our stuff mm-hmm. and and we do need that sense of community and that outside perspective saying okay you're not yourself here, or this is not good for you, or have you thought about this? We need each other, and mm-hmm. you guys are so good at, at figuring out how to live life in community, and I think we can all learn from that, or in the absence of that, even finding professional help, a counselor, somebody that can look at your situation from an objective place. Mm-hmm. And I think hearing other people's stories and realizing, like you said, I'm not alone in this. Someone, there's everyone's dealing with something. Everyone's got their thing. And so hearing someone else's story kind of takes a focus off of you for a second. And, right. Oh my gosh, it's not just me out here doing this on my own, and I'm not the only one going through something, and it's not all about me. Right. And and having that support and helping being a support for somebody else takes a little of the weight off of your own shoulders on your own problems. Right. And right. Find more perspective. Yeah. So one of my biggest goals for this podcast is that people can feel empowered to live out their purpose right where they're at. I just really, again, believe that everybody is created on purpose for a purpose. And I just see you as one of those people that lives daily in that sense of God's hand on your life and his call on your life. So if for anybody listening, what advice would you have in our world that can put the pressure on us that we can feel like if we don't have some giant platform, then we don't have any platform. And if we aren't doing some big global effort, then we may as well not even do anything. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you have to say for maybe the stay at home mom who's drowning in laundry and Mm -hmm. tripping over Legos every day, you know, for the the person that may feel like they don't have a significant purpose, what do you, with the life they have, what, what would you say to that? I think God uses us right exactly where we are and for wherever he put us in that time and that stage. And I think it's just looking, taking a step back and looking at what can I do? Open my eyes. What am I, what am I doing today? Where am I going? Who am I going to be with? Who is my mission field that's out there? And it could be the person at the check stand. It could be somebody that's just right in front of you. It doesn't have to be a big major thing. And just last night I was trick-or-treating and went up to a door of a neighbor that I had never met. And we've lived in this house almost a year. And I was kind of embarrassed that I hadn't met them yet, but said, I'm just going to go. And I said, I haven't met you yet. And she started crying and (laughs) what in the world and told me her whole story about her dealing with health issues and how much she loves Halloween and how embarrassed she was that she hadn't done any decorations outside and she hadn't and it just went into this whole thing and ended up this 15 minute conversation about all these health problems that she's dealing with and she said I shouldn't be bothering with you this you have no idea and I said I actually kind of do I understand and I've gone through this stuff before and it's okay and you have to it's okay to not do this. It's okay to be hundred percent all the time. You needed to deal with what you're dealing with. So it ended up being this little moment to just be a shoulder for this person. And who would have ever 
thought trick-or-treating was the place that that was going to be. But you took the time to look her in the eyes and say, I haven't met you yet. Yeah. And I met her as Wonder Woman at her door and she'll probably never (laughs) recognize me. But it's, that was the moment. And if I was too busy, caught up and we've got to hurry up and get this stuff done and keep moving and, you know, you miss out on those little times where someone might be just waiting for somebody or maybe she hasn't talked to somebody in a long time. When you don't know what's on the other side and you don't know what what people are going through and what they need. And so just being ready and not limiting yourself by your own time and your own resources and... I heard somewhere once that to, to do for one what you wish you could do for everybody. Oh, I love that. I've heard that. And I think just not limiting yourself to I don't have time to volunteer every Monday. I don't have time to, or money to support a child right. across the world every month. Or I, but, right. but right now, today, I can do this one little thing for this person. Yeah. And I can bring a meal to this person or I can pick somebody up from school or I can do little tiny things, whatever's in your life. Right that ends up being huge to the person on the other side. Right. I love that so much. I can, I'm such a solver. And if I feel like I can't solve the whole problem, then I somehow give myself a free pass that I don't have to solve any of it. And that's just so not what we're called to do is, Mm -hmm. and you know, God says, love God, love others. And, um, and so I, like you said, I, I love that phrase because you can, you can take one piece of the problem and try to solve just mm-hmm. your little corner mm-hmm. of that and, and and if everybody did that it would make a huge difference mm-hmm. and then at the same way when you have your big problem that's in front of you that seems insurmountable and you can have this one step one oh, turn one little thing that you could do differently to kind of change your trajectory and your that's so true we'll stare down the whole problem when really if we just take that mm-hmm. first step that's so important that's so good Feel like that with my dishes sometimes. <laughs> I can't you possibly get all start. the dishes done. Sometimes you just have to start, <laughs> right? Or my yard with all the leaves falling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Just one little corner. <laughs> start with that. Um, well, this has just been so much fun, and I love. I just love hearing the ways that you live in your purpose every day. And I, I'm so inspired by your strength. I'm so inspired by your positivity and your willingness to just dive in and tackle whatever's in front of you each day. It's been such a blessing for me to talk to you. And I know it is for people listening. Um, so let's do some of the fun stuff. What is a product that you cannot live without? It's If it wasn't in your house, you just wouldn't know what to do. Well, that is maybe a little too much for my product, but it was it's called calendula ointment. It's a homeopathic ointment that heals anything. Oh, everything and anything. You can put it on blisters, on rashes, on eczema, on cuts, on pimples, on scabs. It heals it literally in 1 to 2 days. It's oh my almost, it's amazing. And so my family jokes that it's get out the Windex because <laughs> from Big Fat Greek wedding, the wind, Windex that he puts on everything, but even the neighbor kids know, geez, if I cut myself, she's going to go get this cream and put it on oh there. But goodness. it works. And, it, and I have one in my car. I have one in my house in my first aid kit. Yeah. All right. You and where do you get that it? At any, anywhere that has a homeopathic home, you know, okay. Whole Foods or any of those type of places that have a section. And more and more places have it now. Okay. Ointment. This is good to know. Yes. And I really feel like probably a lot of people have never heard yeah. of calendula. Yeah. Six so bucks can helpful. change your life. It's <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You should be their marketing, yeah. on their marketing <laughs> campaign. Six bucks can change your life. 
That's awesome. Well, what is the favorite way that you spend time with your kids? Uh, we like to have movie time. We either go to the movies, we'll go to the cheap theater, and we get popcorn and candy and uh, go see a movie all together as a family, and or we'll do it at home and have movie night. We probably do that a few times a month at home. And it's really good for our family because I have really strong, independent kids that have their own yeah. vision of what they want to do. And if we go somewhere, we do something, everyone kind of takes off and does their Divides. own thing. Yeah. And so we do better if it's something that we're all focused on the same thing. Yeah. And it's a good little tradition. And Fun. if I dare have a movie at home without my whirly pop and making popcorn, <laughs> then they are. <laughs> I love that you have a whirly pop. That's a, that would be my, on my That's list my new things. favorite thing, actually, yeah. because there's so many fun things you can do with it. And oh, I'll it. have to get your ideas on And that. I got that from you. I got that idea from you. Oh, I love it. all right. Well, I only use pop, mine for popcorn, but yeah. that would be yeah. on my list of things I can't live without. Yeah. It's my whirly pop yeah. popper. But we do, we do all different flavors in coconut oil and oh. kettle corn and butter. And I mean, it has their little order. So okay. it's fun. Yeah. Well, that's so fun. And your life is full, and I think you mentioned that you you haven't always been a huge reader, but you are reading more now. Is that I am just starting? It's been All about right. a year that I've or so that I've been reading, and um, I had some friends push me to start reading some of um, Shauna Nequist's books, and I love them, and I love her style of conversational writing, and she really um, does make you feel yeah. like your friends. Yeah through the pages yeah. somehow. Yeah. I feel like and I know so her. I just read a little bit in the morning. I don't read very much, just a little chunk. And to be able to kind of acknowledge someone else is going through something else or this is what she learned out of that and how can I apply this to my life. So I kind of make a little devotional out of these narratives to myself. Although I love bread and wine with the cooking yes. because I am an entertainer. I love, yes. I am a hostess yeah. and I love to do stuff like that. So I, I love the idea of having people around the table. I and, love that book. Um, yeah. But the one that resonates with me probably the most, at least in this phase of my life, is bittersweet. And it's because of the idea that in all things there's um, something broken and something beautiful. And just the bitterness, that th the hard things that happen or the things that make you stronger, the things that make you learn about yourself or learn about somebody else or that help you grow. And then the sweet is then the joy and the celebration of the hope that comes out of whatever you learned and whatever wow. you experienced. And it's that balance of the two. And we it, need that for any amount of depth. Yeah. Because although I, I wish there's certain things that, that we've been through that are, are hard and maybe you wish they were different, I think it makes me more, like we talked about earlier, more empathetic and more relatable. I think if everything's smooth sailing all the time, we aren't even relatable <laughs> to mm -hmm. others mm -hmm. when our life is just going along fine. And it's those challenges that actually give us that depth. Yeah. And then it's also when, when everything's easy and everything's sugarcoated and working along fine in your life, you tend to get away from the things that you've learned and you right. the things you've learned at church and all the principles that you've heard and right. been taught all your life. Well, if you have no experience that right requires you to use those things and dig down and rely on a strength that's higher than you and yeah. to, to lean on somebody else or to ask for help or to, you know, all right. these things you don't, if you don't have those experiences, you don't get to use those things right. and they, they mean so much more right. when there's the, the resolution at the end of it. Right. And one yeah. of the things when we first moved here was the first winter it was so dark and oh, so dreary right. and the inversion and it was just terrible. And we could feel ourselves starting to, because we're social, we were kind of holed up and everyone's right. in their house and it was really weighing on us. But there was 
it was a season and we focused on other things and we kind of had that, had that time and it was hard. But then, then when the bits of spring start to pop up and the little things start to grow and you see the buds on the trees and it was amazing how much joy and how that they were still there. There was nothing went away. The good stuff was still there. It was just not time for it. And now it's starting to pop back up and you see the growth and the rebirth and there's a comfort in knowing it's going to happen Right. Every year, it's gonna go away and it's gonna come back and it's gonna you know it's the right. cyclical. And then we have these seasons of life where you can yeah. go through seasons of sorrow. This season of sorrow and yeah. hardship is a season, and it's not always gonna stay that way, even though it seems like it when you're in the middle of it. Right. And there's gonna be this growth and rebirth that comes out of it. Right. And then there's gonna be an inside out. That's the movie. Yeah. There you go. Inside out. But yes, same idea. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Again. Pixar got it right that yeah. joy and sorrow mm-hmm. commingled together. Yes, is pretty much what we can expect out of life. And I think sometimes we we somehow get off track and think that it everything should go our way. And if it's not, then something's we're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, it all ebbs and flows together. So good, bittersweet. I'm gonna have to add that to my reading list. Yeah. Um, all right, last question. Favorite nonprofit because it's really important to me that like. Everything you've been saying this whole time is to think outside of ourselves. Do you have a favorite nonprofit that you support? Well, I'm currently loving Noonday because I am oh, one nice. of their ambassadors. Yeah. And I, I actually went to one of their things just at a friend's house because it just seemed fun and ended up becoming an ambassador, which means I then now sell this jewelry. So tell and us it about is, Noonday. So it's a um, company started out of Austin and they have beautiful jewelry and uh, other little accessories and things. But they partner with artisans around the world uh, to help make them entrepreneurs to make a difference in these vulnerable communities. So they find these artisans who are making this stuff, this beautiful jewelry in their town, but need help for maybe educating their children or they're trying to get out of the situation and they're trying to work, but they don't necessarily have the means to make it profitable. Well, they're coming in, providing them with a constant income that can then turn around and help mothers here who are selling that. And I love the connection between women here trying to be at home and be a stay-at-home mom and just to provide a little bit or to pay for insurance or do little little bits to help here and give them some purpose. But then at the same time, you're also empowering these people across the globe. I love and that. And I, I just love that concept. And it's it's awesome stuff. So it's... It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. And to think that those that it's been handmade mm-hmm. by somebody across yeah. the world. And I get compliments all the time. And it's an opportunity yeah. to then open up and talk about what it's doing. And yeah, I, I just love that opportunity that I have there. Yay. Well, that is so good. Well, this yeah. has been so fun. Thank you so much for taking your time to come sit in my kitchen and tell us your story. And um, I know... I know that what you've had to say would be a blessing to people and um, just of resiliency and fortitude and finding joy and taking life as it comes. These are all such good reminders for all of us. So thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you again so much for listening to the Made for This podcast. I'm so happy you joined our conversation today. I hope you are as inspired as I am by Kirsten's incredible story and her amazing choice to daily hand guide control of her life. Every time I hear her talk about her journey, I'm amazed at God's faithful hand upon her and her family's life. I'm learning that while we often don't get to understand why God allows certain things, 
we can take full confidence in the fact that he is with us every step of the way. Even going as far as potentially rerouting our major, as he did with Kirsten, in order to give us the exact training and preparedness we need to navigate what lies ahead. I hope this encourages you to share your story with those around you. If you're currently in a challenging and overwhelming situation or season of loss, I hope you find comfort in knowing that you're not alone. Kirsten's story demonstrates that there is always hope, and it shows us that there is a great, sovereign, yet highly personal God who knows you by name and is with you every step of the way. I hope her bravery encourages you that there's help and community in reaching out to save people in the midst of your pain. If you want to learn more about her husband Justin and his incredible journey across Spain and their life together, be sure to visit their website at www.allpushyou.com. As always, I invite you to hop on over to the blog at julieturnermusic.com to continue our discussion. I'd love for you to drop Kirsten a note to let her know how her and her willingness to share her story has impacted you. Let's link arms together through this crazy life that's often filled with both incredible joy and intense sorrow. We need each other. Thanks again for listening. I hope you have a great week, and I'll see you next time on the Made for This podcast.